Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside former England fast bowler Steve Harmison, as always. So England suffered a series clean sweep in Bangladesh. What went wrong for them and did they learn anything? We'll hear exclusively from England white ball coach Matthew Mott and vice-captain Moen Ali joins us to talk about what's next for him after the World Cup later this year. We'll also look back at some of the other action around the world as South Africa beat the West Indies and India qualify for the World Test Championship final with a 2-1 win over Australia following the draw in the fourth test in Ahmedabad. We'll also hear from the New Zealand Herald's Andrew Alderson as the Black Caps beat Sri Lanka off the final delivery of the match to complete two of the closest test match finishes back-to-back in the game's history. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Right, well, I thought England did very well to win the ODI series against Bangladesh, but um, they've, they've been cleaned up 3-0. And, Hami, um, I find it very hard to be too perturbed. I mean, it was pretty ballsy going with just four batsmen um, to take on Bangladesh. And what we have learned, if we didn't know it already, and I think I did know it already, is that Bangladesh are really, really good at T20 cricket in their own condition. Absolutely, 100%. They're really good in their own back garden. Not just in 2020, I think in 50-over cricket as well. And I think that was a, a good win for Josh Butler's side in 50-over cricket. You say it was ballsy going in with only four batsmen. I disagree. I think it was arrogant. I thought it was arrogant going in with four batsmen. I really do. And and, and I've heard and said this on the following on straight after play and Try and get me head around why they only went in with four batsmen. They've gone in with a 13-man squad with Joff, Joff Archer, who hadn't played really a great deal of cricket for 18 months. Mark Wood, who struggles to play back-to-back games. Reese Topley, who struggles to play back-to-back games. And and as I think if truth was to be known, I don't think Reese Topley was ever in the equation to play in any of these three one-day T20, uh, three T20s because he was struggling with a back problem. So arrogance again, why they didn't sort of shoot on somebody in over the top and, and, and give themselves a chance from a batting point of view. I'm taking a lot of credit away from Bangladesh here. And I don't really want to do that because Shaky Balasan's side batted better than England, bowled better than England, and definitely fielded better than England. I just worry that there's a fine balance for me, Manners, where we talk about bilateral series and the rhetoric that's coming out of the ECB and the way we talk about bilateral series now where they're not, they're not they don't mean the same as what they used to it actually sounds as though we're not interested in it. And I've actually just witnessed three games from an England point of view in 2020 cricket where it looked like we weren't interested in either. And that's that's worrying. The 3-1 the day of national straight off the back of the World Cup in Australia, I sat on a TV sofa and defended them and saying, not interested in that result, don't care about that result. Actually, I cared about this one because there's a lot of time between test series finishing, one day, one day series is finishing and this one coming along, where even if you don't want to pick Alex Hills, 
because he's got a good contract with the Pakistan Super League. I understand that. I think it's the right decision. I understand the same with Sam Billings. You know, one or two more are in that boat. But there's one or two younger players who have been on your ear tour. And that's what they're for now. An ear tour to Sri Lanka, which has gone you know, very well by all accounts from an England point of view. Why are, why are one or two of them players not in that squad? You know, and I can think of one straight away that we talked to a whole lot of people about that Sam here is in pre-season with Warwickshire. How he's not gone to Bangladesh on this tour when Tommy Abel and Will Jacks were ruled out is beyond me. I just don't understand. You've got Ollie Pope sitting in the Sky Studios. Rightly so. He's had a massive winter. Great young player. I think on other in other years gone by, we probably would have said to one of the, the test players, the younger test players, dip into one day cricket and see what they're all about. Definitely not would have, I would definitely not even contemplated somebody like Ollie Pope going over and playing like what Ben Duckett has. But somebody like Sam Hien, who has got a ridiculous one day record in domestic cricket, why he's on pre season and not in Bangladesh after being on an air tour, I do not know. So was it? Who, where was the thought process? Who was the thought? Who was the thought decision making? Sorry, I just think it was a bit of arrogance. Me, well, we got to Bangladesh. These three matches don't mean a great deal. It, it, it probably wasn't that, but that's just the way it looked because of the level of the performance that was on offer. Okay, um, Matthew Mark did say that uh, it was a good opportunity. This is before the series for the all rounders um, for Moeen, Sam Curran, and Chris Wokes uh, to maybe see if they could bat five, six, seven. Um, up a couple of places um, in the order, and I, if that was an objective, that's admirable, mm. you know. You, but but you have to admit then that the objective is not to go and win. Yeah, the objective. When I looked at the side, and you looked at them after the the event, now you've got Chris Wokes and Chris Jordan probably playing as batsmen, batsmen who bowled rather than bowlers who batted. You know, Sam Curran. I've been a, a huge pusher of Sam getting a chance higher up the order. Um, he got a chance at number six. Difficult place to go and do that. But it comes with who you're batting with and who you're playing with. In this this third ODI, England cruising, 100 for one. Yeah, It's a cakewalk. If they were, if it is, it's a cakewalk for a team who are world champions within two balls. Milan out, Butler run out, and all of a sudden you've got you've got Duckett and Sam Curran at the crease needing 10, 9 and over. Within three overs and needing 12 and a half and over. So I'm all for giving people a chance, but you've got to have people around them to bounce off, to feed off, to make sure that their their learning curve is not just jump in the deep end and see how see how fast you can swim or see how far you can swim. And I think that for me is where this this whole tour has been has fallen down. Um, I didn't mind Sam Curran getting responsibility with the bat. He's gone from seven to six. He's probably going to bat number eight in the fifty over World Cup. I can't see him batting number seven in the 50 over World Cup. And there's one or two other concerning things, but there's some positives out of it. He got for Archer bowling nicely. He really did. Riyad Ahmed getting a chance in he, after he bowled admirably really well for an 18 year old in the in the big you know, on the big stage. I thought Adil Rashid was fantastic again. I thought he he, he bowled nicely. Um, probably didn't get the wickets he deserved, Adil. But there are one or two tracks starting to emerge of. England might have to nip a few things in the bud, and one of them might be Moen Ali. Okay, we'll talk more about him in a moment. I've got this Machiavellian conspiracy theory that um, England taking only four batsmen in Bangladesh and then getting cleaned up 3 0 does make it a hell of a lot easier to bring Johnny Bairstow back into the thing. Yeah. Harvey, just on that, and on that manner, you, you're right. But I also look at it the other way and go, I've just seen pictures of Liam Livingston in a, in a Lancashire shirt. He hasn't played cricket for a while. He's a, he looks a big lad now. Johnny Bairstow has not played cricket for a long time. Is he going to come back then? We've seen Ben Stokes less than a, less than three weeks ago on one knee. These are players that England are hanging their hopes on to potentially come back into the side to win a World Cup. You know, we're not sure Roy uh, at the top. Root hasn't played a 50-over game for a long time. We've gone with our probably our best bowling options to Bangladesh and got beat 3-0 in a, in, a, in a part of the world where we're going to play a 50-over World Cup. That, the, 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 these question marks. So uh, people are saying, this is what England have got. England have gone with sort of lesser players, but this actually might be what England go to India with for the World Cup because you don't know what the other players are going to be coming back like. 
Okay, well, Matthew Mott spoke to our man in Bangladesh, Will McPherson, after the series. Matthew Mott, we're walking across the ground in Murpur here and um, there's, there's kind of shiny things falling down from the sky as Bangladesh celebrate. How disappointing was that performance and result tonight? Yeah, it was really disappointing. I think we, um, you know, we, we steeled ourselves for a big finish today. I think it's been an incredible tour in terms of you know, the crowds that we've got here, the conditions that we've been exposed to. Uh, and it really would have been nice to, to you know, enter the break with a win. Um, it wasn't to be. There's some positives to take out of it, but also some reflection on how it can get a lot better. You, you bat, the batting's been a bit of a struggle throughout the series, but your fielding went awry tonight. How, how disappointing is that, given that's something you as a team pride yourself on? Yeah, incredibly disappointing. I think, um, particularly in the last game, I thought we upped the ante and, and we showed a lot of character and fight. Uh, and took the last five overs today, we reeled it back in quite well. But the first 15, um, yeah, for whatever reason, we were just off. You know, not, not a lot of clean hands, some basic skill errors, and it's not something that we're, we're accustomed to seeing. You've, you've uh, decided not to call up an extra batsman when you had two injuries to Will, uh, Will Jackson, Tom Abel. Joss said no regrets the other day. Presumably you feel the same way. Yeah, I, I do. As I just said before, I think um, we're in a really tough ask in these conditions to, to bring someone in at really short notice uh, to try and play that role in that middle order. Uh, one thing that we, we, we're really mindful of is we've got a lot of uh, top-order batting options um, and what we might have to continue to improve is, you know, is that middle-order um, all-rounders and their capacity to win games for us. So we saw that as an opportunity here, um, you know, Hindsight will say maybe maybe you know people will question that, but we were confident with the discussions that we had that it was the right call. As you leave Bangladesh tomorrow, what you're going to be what are you going to be your main takeaways from this tour? You've, you've, you've said how pleased you are with the, the ODI series win and what that means for World Cup later this year. Yeah, it seems a long time ago the ODI series, um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, we played some really good cricket in those first couple of games. It is the format that we're focusing on a lot this year and. Whilst we're a white ball team, we want to win everything. But for me to come over here uh, as a team and win in these conditions, uh, yeah, we've got to remember that. And I think it's very disappointing. And we're, you know, we'll, we'll, it's a bit raw in the change room right now. But I still think, with the benefit of perspective in that first part of the tour, there's, there's plenty to take away for the white ball. Are there fringe players who you feel have really stood up on this tour and, and kind of advanced their case for World Cup? Yeah, I think every, everyone's coming. Once you get some debutants, it's pretty special. I think Rayan looked really good today. I think um, definitely the, the opportunity to expose those all-rounders, whilst it, it may not um, pay dividends straight away, I think it's going to hold us in good stead down the down the course. Um, and as we keep talking about with, with these conditions, the, these are probably even harder than Indian conditions, which we, we're going to experience in the World Cup. So it's almost like a, an overtraining aspect. And you've got an unusually long amount of time before your next game now. I think it's sort of 1st of September, maybe. Your next, your next going to be joining up. That's really unusual, isn't it? And, and pretty strange. But what, what are you going to be doing yourself in that period? And how much, how much are you going to have your England thinking cap on about the World Cup? Oh, continually. I think um, the, the beauty is that we get the opportunity to watch a lot of cricket, a lot of our players getting opportunities in you know, different formats. And I think that that's a big part of what we do, keeping in, in touch with the, the rest of the selection panel about what we're looking for, where we can make these little incremental improvements. So, yeah, there'll be a lot of discussion. It is, it's a, It seems a, an amazing amount of time before we get back together. But it'll come around fast and there'll be a lot of, lot of talking and thinking in between. What's the message as you say goodbye to them all tonight and tomorrow? I think maintain perspective. I think we're really disappointed with today. It wasn't it wasn't the performance we we're after, um, but there's a lot to look forward to. We've we've had some some good gains in, in certain areas, and we, we've got to take that away. I, I think Bangladesh deserved to win this series. Um, I thought we deserved to win the ODI series, but uh, it would have been nice to finish a bit better tonight. It was uh, England white ball coach Matthew Mott in philosophical mood? Um, didn't seem like he was making excuses to me, but just let's finish on Bangladesh once again, Harmi. They've been very slow getting out of the blocks um, once they were granted full international test match status, um, but um, I always thought they, they would get there, and for the last decade, they seem to be taking, you know, rather than one step forward and two back, they're, they're at least taking one step forward and one step back, and at, at home now, they are a genuine bona fide force, and they've beaten lots of other teams. This is not the time and the place for England fans to be despondent and uh, and to, to sort of verge on arrogance to think, what are we doing losing to Bangladesh? You know, New Zealand went there a couple of years ago and lost 5-0 in, mm-hmm. in the T20. So 
Um, they've some very, very fine cricketers, and people said, uh, well, they shouldn't make their home conditions quite so favourable because it means they'll be terrible tourists. But not so sure about that, you know. I think uh, if they're winning half their games at home and beating teams like England, then perhaps they can learn on the road. Absolutely. They're doing doing it right. They're building confidence and building the winning environment, play, learning players how to win cricket matches. And when I said before about England's arrogance, I'm going on selection. Not going on how well, how badly England played was arrogant towards Bangladesh. Far from it. Bangladesh have completely beaten England in all three facets. The bowl better than England, the batter better than England. And especially in the third one, the fields are better than England because England were looked uh, very, very sloppy at times. But we, we heard the coach before the series talk about, or before the, the, the White Bull series, talk about his, one of his batsmen to hit boundaries, his batsmen to express and the power where, and his bowlers to be bowling, especially the, the seam bowlers to be bowling quickly. And I thought they've done that brilliantly in this series. The, the, the aggression into the, the Lynn ball, for me, was, was what made them very, very good in this game. Taskian Ahmed's bowled fantastically well. Mustafa Fizzer bowled, he's got his hundreds for um, T20 international wicket in this game. So that's a lot of wickets. There's only Shaki Balasad who has got more. So from a bowling point of view, they were, they were on it. They know how to bowl in net conditions. They waited for a chance to, to squeeze and really put pressure on England. And they never never live, they never let England up. You know, they, they were 50-50 in the game in that third ODI right up until probably the 14th over. But then once Joss Butler ran himself out, there was no question that Bangladesh weren't going to win because they know them conditions and how to, to see a game out from that point of view. And they've got some guile. They've got some canniness in their spin department. And well led by Shaki Balasan. They've got a team who all round qualities know how to play at home. And I think the biggest confidence booster from them was Litton Das finally getting runs for a 50 for he hasn't been in the greatest of form and he got himself 50 in this third game. So that will give them confidence. And probably the man of the series was was Shanto, who I think he hit 16 in the first ODI of the first four balls of Mark Wood bowling rockets. And he kept putting England on the back foot and throughout this three-match T20 series, he was the player of the series and he and he's just shown that Bangladesh unearthed another batsman at the top of the order who can play all around the, all around the ground. So all in all, I mentioned the arrogance of England, but that was just on selection, not on performance. I think England have been beaten by a very, very good Bangladesh side at home. And finally, a shout out to our old mate, Alan Donald. Seems to, uh, I mean, he's he's... You know, he, he leads by inspiration, and, and maybe that's what the Bangladesh fast bowlers need. It's not to say that he's not a technical coach, but that's not his, his strength. But, um, yeah, I think uh, I think Tuscan is enjoying his time under Alan Donald. Anyway, well done to, to Bangladesh. Uh, you're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Time now to hear from England's vice-captain Moed Ali, who's been speaking to TalkSport about his long-term future in the England team, uh, the all-rounder turns 36 in June, and he was speaking to Tohid Qureshi about his role in the England side, the young players coming through, and the possibility of finishing his career as a T20 specialist. With the way I play, um, coach and the captain like to have him in the side, and with especially with the way I've played recently in ODI cricket with South Africa now, there's been some good performances, and I think it's the way I play. This is what's keeping me in the side. It's not necessarily scoring big runs off. So when I do get in 50 or 40 or whatever it is, it's quite quick and the impact is quite good. And with the balls, they know my role in the side is not, oh, I'm not going to be somebody who's going to rip through teams as well to contain, uh, build pressure and hopefully they rush and all those body of the ring could take wickets or pick up my wickets myself. But I think my role in the side is clear and it's good. They like having me in the side. No, I, I don't see myself as a first name on the team sheet. I see myself as somebody who can make a difference in the side. Yeah, and as I was saying, there, there is a lot of competition for places. So, you know, for example, Will Jacks came in, made his debut first, so yeah, I did, did a good job there. Do you feel all that sort of competition helps you to raise your game? For sure, it's um, having competition is great. And I've never been somebody who's, if there is competition for places, it's never... Like it doesn't make me a, a 
I don't become selfish in any sort of way. I just feel like, no, whatever's going to be the best for the team is what will happen. And if Will Jacks comes in and Livingston comes in, similar roles to myself, and they do really well, then actually it makes me happy because I'm 35 now. There's not, I'm not like I'm 26, 20, I'm, I'm at the back end. And for me, it's more, there's more pleasure now. Obviously, I want to play. And accept, but if somebody's doing really well and they're ready and, and they're doing better than me or whatever it is then they should they deserve to be playing and I feel that it's I, I it genuinely makes me happy when I see players coming in that I'm not somebody who's going to hold on to anything and all that it's just let's play the game and whatever's best for the side whatever's going to take the team forward make us better and make us champions etc that's more important and, and that, that is um, the bigger picture really I'm not always that desperate I love playing cricket. I love playing for England, of course, but it's not the be-all and end-all. It's never been like that. And that's probably why I've played more than I probably thought as if we're going to play in the end. Just sort of focusing in on, on you know, your future, as you said, you know, you're no spring chicken anymore. And I think the other day you were kind of saying how, you know, you, you just want to sort of try and play for as long as, as, as you can. Do you see, you know, the, the World Cup being a bit of a watershed in terms of your involvement in the 50 over side, or do you not sort of see it like that? Is it just a case of, right, the World Cup will happen, I'll carry on doing my best if I'm in that 50 over team, and so be it if I'm not, then? Look, with the World Cup coming up, obviously I've had my, I don't set a lot of goals and, and stuff like that, but I want to play that World Cup and be part of that World Cup and hopefully win that World Cup. And then we'll see if I'm not saying I will retire, or I'm not saying I won't retire, it's just. I might choose to retire the time. It is, again, another seven, eight months. Uh, 35 is a lot. When you have 24, 25, 26, it's obviously nothing. But it could be at the time we're up to the well, actually 15 was just, that's me done now. And I might look at the Livingston sends up Jackson and these guys and think, well, I think my time's I'd rather them guys get ready for the four years to the next World Cup. There is ICC 50 hours and I think two years after the World Cup. But we'll see. Like, I'm not. I haven't decided or I haven't like but I have a sort of idea what I want to try and do. If if I feel like this then unlock it and said if I don't then I feel great and I'm playing well then I'll carry on or whatever. But would you would you ever sort of consider going down the road of, of just being a T twenty international sort of specialist? So, you know, a bit like I guess Chris Jordan at the moment just comes in for the for the T twenties uh, yeah, of course. I mean it's I've never ruled that out. I think it's something that is more logical than it just makes more sense if I'm playing well and I'm playing all the franchise cricket and playing well for England. I don't see why not. Fifties does get harder as the the older you get. Fielding is not older, so um, fifties is not easy to fill up. Then, for sure, I think it makes sense that I'll, I'll do that because at some point, T Twenty is obviously good. At, like I said, as long as I'm playing well and I feel like I deserve to be on the side, then yeah, for sure, I will definitely do it. England Vice-Captain Mohan Ali talking to Tohid Qureshi uh, during the tour of uh, Bangladesh. Hami, I, I'm immensely fond, not just fond, of Mohan Ali. Um, I've, I have an abundance of respect for everything that he stands for as a person and as a cricketer. But I can't help thinking that two months ago I was uh, stood in front of him in Bangladesh after the second ODI against South Africa. And he was asked the question, do you enjoy playing 50 over cricket? And there was a longer than appropriate pause, I thought. Uh, and he said, do you want to know the truth? And he said, I, I don't really enjoy bowling. And I, I thought, Mo, it seems to me you're, this relationship is beginning to break down. You're falling out of love with the game. And he doesn't want to. That's the point. He wants to still be in love with it. But I think it's just wearing him down. That sounds like that situation hasn't changed. No, you, you, you talk about your your affection for Moen and Mine's even more out of the guy to bits. I've known him a lot longer. I've known him since he was probably 17-year-old. He's been under-19 cricket with my younger brother, and I've watched him closely throughout his career. And You've seen him when he got messed around in the test matches. It broke him. It really did. Going from three to five to seven. Well, we've got a problem at number three. Well, send for Mullin. In bowl, did bowl. The ashes, the bar colour. It just seemed to finish him off when it comes to Test match cricket. I actually think he's there now for 50 over cricket, unfortunately. And when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, you listen to him speak, 
He's an honest guy. He's a very well respected guy. Great leader when it comes to from a captaincy point of view at the shortest format of the game. I think somebody might have to have a serious sit down conversation with Mo and Ali and say, "Are you are you fully in fifty overs? Because if you're not, we can look at another option. If you want to go down the the, the twenty over route, then." We don't have a problem with that. You, it, it's time for you to go because I think what we've seen in the past, when Mullen was in this sort of mood or in this situation, we didn't get the best out of him. He seemed to fall out of love with it, and 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 it was it was painful watching. It really was, and he hasn't scored the runs he probably would like in fifty over cricket at this minute in time. So that doesn't keep not so much keep him in the side as a as a batsman who stroke bowler. At this minute in time, you need these all-round qualities to balance the side out, especially in India. If he was getting hundreds, not a problem. Or 80s, not a problem. But he's not scored too many 50s in the, in the recent past in 50-over cricket. So for me, it's a hard one because if Stokes is available and Livingston's fit, does Livingston and Mo and Ali's challenge for that number seven spot when it comes to the World Cup? And if Moen's in a position where his heart's not in it or he's not enjoying it, then are England better off picking Liam Livingston over Mo and Ali when it comes to it? And for me, that's a frightening thought because of what I, how much respect I've got for Mo and Ali as a cricketer and what a game changer he is to even contemplate leaving him out of that World Cup squad. So I'm not, I don't think I'm leaving him out on ability. I'm leaving him out as that if, he's, if his head's not in it, if we've seen in recent past from a test match point of view, when it's not there, he, he struggles to get going and, that's something I don't think the England cricket team can do, can carry. I'm loath to say that his heart's not in it because his heart is there. But yeah, it is something else. It's something else. It's his so- it's his spirit. It's his soul. Yeah. It's his body because his heart's there. The thing is, Harmy, if he's hanging on, in a sense, for the 50-over World Cup and thinking that he'll call it a day after that, he's doing it not out of selfish reasons. Quite the opposite. He's doing it because he loves playing for England. He's passionate about the England team, and he wants to, to retain the World Cup. But there's, it's his soul. It's, so, it's something else that's not there. His heart's there. Absolutely. It's his, his heart is there. I've got no doubt his heart's there. I've never questioned his, his heart being there. If his heart wasn't there and his love wasn't there, then he, he wouldn't have gone and batted number three for a long time playing Test Match Cricket. He wouldn't have done what he did in Test Match Cricket because of, well, this was the right thing to do for the team. That's what Mo and Ali's all about. It just seemed that once, once that spark wasn't there, it just the love for it didn't happen. And a very moody player is Moen. And when he's in the mood, and he gets going, and the momentum's going with him, there's not a better white ball cricketer around the world. But then when things aren't happening for him, and he nicks one, or you know he chips one up in the air because he's he's going for the big shot, and that's what he's all about. He doesn't quite pull it off. I don't think it's pressure either. I, I just think there's just a spark that doesn't happen for him. And he um, not so much doesn't look, and, and sometimes it doesn't look great. Then all of a sudden, the people start questioning him. He does love playing for England. Yeah, he wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have done the jobs he's done in Test Match Cricket for the cricket team, for the England cricket team, if he didn't love playing for England. He wasn't a proper team man. Just for some reason, when things don't go his way, there seems to be a spark that's just not quite there. And that get the, I get the sense that spark that he lost, that mojo he lost from a test match point of view, he's starting to lose it for the 50-over format of the game, which is slightly concerning six games out and six months out from a World Cup. Yeah, when he was um, talking about the unfairness of the fielding regulations, particularly for spinners, um, you know, it's a bit like a Formula One driver complaining that there are too many corners on the track. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, the thing about the World Cup being in India is that his bowling has to be crucial. I mean, he, he can't go there with a view to maybe chipping in with three or four overs here and there. He's got to carry a load. Absolutely, and that's where the, the sort of argument about if Stokes is available, is Livingston, if it is going to be that, that sort of number seven with a current eight, Rashid, nine, Archer and Wood, depending on who's that number three is, whether it's Joe Root or... or potentially Will Jacks that can bowl a bit of spin, does the, does the overs become as important? I would say they are because of his experience. The only thing I would say about Moen is, I've said to you before, he's a moody player. If he goes and takes the IPL by storm, 
which he, he has done in previous years. And he bounces back from the, the IPL, goes into the 100, and he's in a very, very good team in the 100, and he reads it very, very well. The confidence and the bounce that he'll get off that, we got to hope from an England supporter's point of view, that will carry him into a positive frame of mind and uh, and and the ultimate Mo and Ali with no, no point to prove, but I want to go out at the top because I've got no doubt once the 50-over World Cup finishes, he'd be done for ODI's cricket especially, but I think he might be done for the whole lot. I think he might, I actually think he might throw the whole whole shooting match in from an England point of view and go off in the sunset, double world champion, potential three times world champion, fingers crossed. Ashes winner, great ambassador for the England cricket team and the ECB as a whole. Um, and let him go off and play IPL, another franchise cricket. Maybe he just needs a good rest, Tommy. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and two time county championship winner, Steve Harmison. Next up in part three, we'll hear from the New Zealand Herald's Andrew Alderson, who looks back at another thrilling test to finish between uh, this time New Zealand and Sri Lanka rather than New Zealand and England. The Black Caps winning off the final ball of the match. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including... England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Mantle, alongside former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed. Now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, unbelievable to think that New Zealand could do it again. They do They do like a close test match in that part of the world. Just the fourth team to win following on against England and then against Sri Lanka. I mean, let's rewind a couple of weeks. Go back to um, Jimmy Anderson and um, uh, Jack Leach at the crease uh, needing two runs to win. Imagine if that had been the last over of the match as well. Mm. Well, they managed to do that this time around. Unbelievable. Kane Williamson finishing unbeaten, scrambling a bye off the last ball of the test match. To It was just, I mean, it just made the hair stand up all over your body, never mind on the back of your neck. It did. And when Kane Williamson's, you know, they're shouting him through for the bye and he's running down the middle of the wicket and you're thinking, we got Cheltenham at the minute and you just see him whipping the back of trying to get there, like whipping the horse to try and get him to the finish line, trying to get to the point of diving in. And it was like, keep going, Jim, keep going. And then all of a sudden he gets he gets in a position to, you know, put the dive in and they get the by the need to win the match. And again, it's another advert, great advert for Test Match Cricket because it was played in the right way. It was played to win. Both sides were trying their hardest to win. 
I don't think there was any too. There wasn't too much antics about going for the draw. It was a, a real fantastic effort from both teams to to keep going right up until I think it was seven seven thirty at night when it was dark. Um, what did you say? They put the lights on with two balls to go, which was quite bizarre. I, it literally was. It was. It was both sides going for the win, and that's the way a Test match cricket should be played. Ben Stokes has changed the way teams look at playing Test match cricket. They're desperately trying to win at all costs, and it's much more exciting, isn't it? Two Test matches in a short period of time in New Zealand, trying to get bums on seats, um, and they've certainly done that. And it was a, you know, I say, another wonderful innings by another uh, a great batsman in Kim Williamson. I want to ask you just a very quick question. As a um, largely career number 10, okay, so Neil Wagner has been ruled out of the test match. The press release the day before says he's got a torn hamstring and a bulging disc in his back, and he's gone. Mm. And then he walks out at number 10 to, in this unbelievably tense situation. My immediate reaction was, why? But you, okay, you're Neil Wagner, okay, bigger, you're you and you've got his injuries and you know that it's coming down to the last couple of overs would you want to walk out there at number 11 with a couple of runs needed and all those and those injuries or would you say to the coach do you know what we've still got Blair Tickner at number can you just let let me go and see if I can finish the job I might I might never play again yeah, I'm, I'm thinking more of the fact that Neil Wagner is a more of a sort of confident batsman than than Blair Tickner, that he could potentially hit the fall. You know, he hit two or three big hits off Stuart Broad of Matt Monganui, if you remember. When it comes to the bulging disc in the in the, in the hamstring, yes, it'll be strapped up. I'll I'll get down the other end. I will make sure I'm good enough to run. And it's one of them ones where it's the last test match. I'm not going to be playing. I've been ruled out. So if I've got a grade one tear, have I got a sorry? Have I got a grade two tear in my hamstring? I might as well make it worse by getting us over the line, and that's the way I would have thought about it. I remember going back to Edgebaston a few years ago in in two thousand and five. Simon came off with a Simon Jones came off with a, an ankle injury. Never played Test match cricket again, um, and he was probably a better batsman than than me from a, a technical point of view, but. We're trying to get a pad on one of them moon boots. That was always going to be the challenge when it comes to that same situation. So it was it was more important that I went in it ten and Simon managed to hobble if he needed to. He couldn't run. He literally wouldn't be able to run. Um, so I think from that situation, I think it just depends on the individual itself. E. Wagner was a, was able to get down the other end, turn and come back. I think then it was definitely it was it was definitely more important that E. Wagner went out from the Blatter. All right, let's get more on that uh, remarkable, uh, famous two-wicket win by New Zealand against Sri Lanka at the Hagley Overling Christchurch from a man who was actually there. The New Zealand Herald's cricket writer, Andrew Alderson, caught up with our producer, Scott Taylor, uh, to reflect on, as I said, back-to-back dramatic uh, test matches. Um, And the obvious first question was, where does it rank amongst the best wins for the Black Caps? Yeah, it's not getting any easier to be able to... uh... I guess rank these test matches. This is incredible to have happened, you know, back to back uh, over a few weeks, and uh, to have seen that yesterday. I mean, I guess the the one at the basin was a victory by one wicket. This was perhaps a victory by one inch uh, with Kane Williamson, uh, you know, doing uh, the age old technique of, of sliding your bat uh, and being able to get home from the uh, the throw and be able to run the by. It was uh, quite extraordinary scenes and and just. Uh, Really just a pleasure to be in the ground once again, just like it was at the basin for the England match. Frenetic scenes and uh, the last available ball of the match, which I understand has only happened once before, I think England against South Africa at Durban in 1948, chasing 128. And sure enough, it happened at, uh, at Hagley Oval yesterday. Just paint the picture for, for people who might not have missed it, because the forecast heading into day five was pretty poor. There was rain about in the morning and they were playing until what? 7:30 p.m. local time that night they were and it was it was dusk they actually put the lights on which was you know a, a courtesy to uh, the batters i guess and the and the fielding side for the last ball um but up until that point it had been uh, the shadows were getting longer the, the window had opened that you know you pretty much had lost the best part of two sessions of play they started i think at 3:30 and we're going to finish it was one long session through to 7 it ended up being yeah, you know, after seven thirty, it might even be twenty to eight in the end. Fortunately, we've got the daylight savings in New Zealand, 
and uh, it was just played on through that whole period. Uh, and I think it was helped in some ways. It was helped that they lost the time, and that it pretty much turned it into a straight out one day. New Zealand were what twenty eight to for one going into they needed two eighty five. They had fifty three overs to do it, and yeah, it was just a one day chase. Just leading on to that point, actually, we're talking about how a change of captain in English cricket has helped the England Test side. But do you reckon this approach would have happened under Williamson? Is this a new sort of attribute of Tim Southey's captaincy, perhaps? No, I think they would have gone for it still. I think Williamson, because simply because Williamson was in control anyway. He was the one who was, I guess, orchestrating proceedings. And while he was there, there was always hope. And I think, too, that you know, Tim Southey spoke about it afterwards at the presser, that there was a calmness and a composure around the dressing room simply because of what Williamson brings to the middle. And we can't uh, forget Daryl Mitchell's role here either. I know England have experienced that against Mitchell during the, the home series. And, and in June, what he's able to contribute, you know, 81, he was in a 142-run fourth-wicket stand with Williamson. He scored 102 in the first innings and justifiably probably won man of the match despite Williamson's uh, uh, valiant efforts uh, in the uh, in the second innings. So th- they were key moments. And who can forget the incapacitated Neil Wagner, uh, lion-hearted, uh, at the end, running the bye, uh, albeit with a, a strained right hamstring and a, a bulging disc in his back. So it was uh, it was quite dramatic scene, Scott. I think you were, you were writing a piece on the New Zealand Herald about Darrell Mitchell. I think you referred to it as the William Wallace in the Battle of Sterling. But that could probably <laughs> be personified for, for Neil Wagner, who, as you say, many viewers would have seen that and thought, how on earth could he run 22 yards with the torn hamstring? <laughs> I know it's uh, it seems beyond the uh, the realm, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, Daryl Mitchell will be doing it with uh, with less uh, less face paint and, and less hair, but uh, he was uh, you know up to the task. As you mentioned, was uh, was Wagner, and uh, yeah, Wagner's always up for a challenge, that's for sure. And some talk whether perhaps that may have been his last test for New Zealand. Given he's not probably going to be required uh, too much in Bangladesh in November, December. His next opportunity in tests will be against South Africa and Australia next February and March. He's got 258 wickets. He's uh, played 63 tests. He's won a World Test Championship. He turned 37 yesterday. Um, who knows what future lies ahead for him, but what a legacy he's left. Yeah, let's just touch on Wagner for a second because obviously this podcast goes out in England. A lot of English cricket fans would be interested on Neil Wagner because he was due to play for Yorkshire this summer. But I know it's only a day since the test, but do we know any more on that? Do you think it's unlikely now that he'll come over to England for the summer? Yeah, I'm sorry to be the, the bearer of, of bad news, but I suspect he will be out for at least, well, I'm thinking half that, and he's going to miss six weeks minimum, uh, which will take him into that uh, county championship season. But, you know, obviously he would have, prospects of playing for Yorkshire would have been tremendous for him and for Yorkshire. I think both parties would have got some benefit from that. Hopefully he'll be able to join them maybe for the back end of that, but I guess that's up for uh, up for negotiation. And more short-term, looking ahead to the second test in Wellington, it's a short turnaround. Has the talk resurfaced in New Zealand about the possibility of Trent Bolt potentially coming back now? Neil Wagner's injured because you look at the bowling options, you look at Salvi, Kugeline, Tickner, Matt Henry. I mean, it's looking pretty light. Yes, and there has been talk across the whole summer whether we'd see Trent Bolt wearing white again or a black cap, but I don't think that's going to be the case, Scott. I think, uh, well, they brought Doug Bracewell back uh, into the squad uh, for that uh, test match. Doug Bracewell, who I think is now 32, he last played a test match for New Zealand against uh, South Africa at Centurion in 2016, uh, but he will join the squad instead, and Bolt uh, will uh, be, well, Bolt will be probably released through to IPL duty from there as well. So it's uh, it, we may have seen the last of Trent Bolt this talk he may come back uh, for a one-off occasion maybe for the World Cup at the end of the year in India but with the central contract system they've got they've got to provide incentives for those players who are, who are part of that and I mean I, I would love to see Trent Bolt again um, and could have made a difference in so many ways over the summer but uh, I think it's unlikely Now the dust is starting to settle on that win do you think New Zealand's batting is still a little light you're seeing Tom Blundell bat at six if I'm not mistaken in this test match Yeah I think that they'll, they'll back it for the time being, given that I suppose the four of Mitchell, the former of Blunt, they could have played young again, but they opted to bring a, a pace bowler to, to bolster that, which actually worked in their favour in some ways that, that Wagner was injured, but Will Young may come back, and the, the, the trouble is that Henry Nichols has struggled of late, I mean he's had a tremendous career for New Zealand, 
eight test centuries, but the last of those came in February last year against South Africa. In the meantime, I mean, 15 test innings, it hasn't gone beyond 39. So uh, the clock is ticking for his uh, role uh, in the order, I suspect. Because I imagine the neutral would have looked at this scorecard and thought, oh, New Zealand's scored over 300, then chased down 285. What's the problem with the batting? But then when you delve into it, you saw Matt Henry hit 72, Neil Wagner hit 27, a little cameo there. Is that papering over the, the cracks for New Zealand's vulnerability, I guess, with, with the batting lineup? Yeah, I think that um, it's relatively strong. I mean, yes, those are good examples in that uh, it's... Uh... Yeah, once you drill down a bit as to how the, 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 the machinations of the test, if you like, I mean, I think they've got the right opening combination in Tom Latham and Devin Conway. Kane Williamson at number three is obviously right. Number four is the issue. And you've got Daryl Mitchell at five and, and potentially Blundell at six. So I think all those spots are uh, okay for the time being. It's just, uh, yeah, what they're going to do about the, the Nichols scenario, whether they bring in Will Young or, I mean, another player who, who springs to mind is Glenn Phillips who scored runs uh, even recently, 147 for Otago against Canterbury, uh, who's played one test uh, against Australia at Sydney and probably deserves another opportunity at some stage. Yeah, just a, a couple more before we wrap up. The the viewers in England here would have seen the test match with have gone through, through the night, so they might not have missed it, uh, might not have saw much of the test. But one thing that stood out watching the highlights and watching some of it live, you saw Daryl Mitchell deploying the bouncer warfare that Neil Wagner is used to would that be something <laughs> long term that New Zealand that that did take me by surprise to be honest I suspect it might be short term I don't know you have to I mean the, the the unique element Scott about Wagner is the accuracy with which he was able to employ it around that sort of chest you know upper peck kind of area so yeah I'm not sure it was done with quite the same alacrity but there you go <laughs> it's uh yeah something I have to consider and just uh, ending on a on a positive note Kane Williamson back to back test centuries in back-to-back tests now are New Zealand fans getting too excited prematurely or is he now back to his best would you say is he looking as good as he was a couple of years back so he's had a, a rough couple of seasons hasn't he yeah it's difficult to say with that elbow injury of his I mean that has been the problem and effectively that was the problem if you look at it the New Zealand's World Test Championship campaign I mean so many close results for them across that uh, period but losing Williamson last summer, and of course there was a lost test to Bangladesh, a lost test to Sri Lanka, um, and a lost test to India uh, in Mumbai uh, without Williamson there. <clears throat> it just goes to show what a key component to the order he is. And uh, I think I just think New Zealand have to savour it while it lasts. I mean, this, these are extraordinary times with what he is able to bring to the table and, and just the fact that he, he has, there's a hope among fans. No one is thinking New Zealand is out of that game while Williamson's in the middle, which is uh, quite the awe to be able to provide. And many thanks to uh, our wonderful, hard-working producer, Scott Taylor, who uh, managed to catch up with Andrew Alderson late into the night. Well, early in New Zealand time, um, but uh, well done to Scotty for staying up late in order to chat to Andrew. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. Right then, um, India... Uh, went from uh, the ridiculous to the sublime or the other way around in their pitch preparation with uh, the fourth test match strip in Ahmedabad, an absolute dead one. Um, but it did mean that they uh, ensured their qualification for the World Test Championship final with uh, that high-scoring draw in uh, the fourth test. And uh, in case you missed it, Usman Khawaja with a, a 180 in the first innings, um, riposte from Virat Kohli in his first test century since December 2019. Who's your money on for the rematch at the Oval on the 7th of June in the World Test Championship final? Tough form because it just depends on which Australia comes over. You know, if they come over with their full artillery of, of bowlers, then I fancy Australia. I think Australia in England with a Duke ball, with a proper bowling unit and... Obviously, they've got options of not sure about it. Here's the wood. Stark will be over. Boland, Pat Cummins, who we obviously we all give our thoughts to Pat Cummins after he lost his mum um, not long ago. He's been, you know, had two weeks, three weeks where he hasn't been playing cricket. He comes to he comes to England refreshed. Psychologically, we don't know because of obviously the you know when you the bereavement of a of a loved one has a has a a huge part to play in the next phase of where your life goes. So I'll be interested from a, from Pat Cummins' point of view of where he comes to England and with India and then the Ashes after that. 
And I think if Australia come with their, their best bowling unit and they hit the oval with Cummins, Stark, possibly Boland, possibly Hazelwood, and Nathan Lyon with Cameron Green, I think that's a team that will be hard to beat. Not only for India, but I think for England as well. I think the Ashes is set up to be brilliant, but the World Test Championship, if they come with that bowling attack, they've got batters who are who have, who have played in English conditions in, in a bit of form. Kawaja looks as though he's in unbelievable touch. And you company that with, you don't know what Warner's going to be like, but you company that with Labashian, who will have played a, a lot of cricket in England going into that series. Smith will have had a few games going into that series. All of a sudden, I fancy Australia over India. India are a good side, but I think in English conditions, I think they'll be Australia will be hard to beat. Actually, man, is that... Our good friend Akash Chopra, seen a tweet for him, and he come up with a novel idea, which I think is is he's spot on. He's quite right. He's like, why should it be played in England? The answer he he came about with was legit. Was it'll be a logistic nightmare with all the franchise stuff going on around the world. But he said, why couldn't they play one game in Australia, one game in India, and then one game at a neutral venue, and have a three test match series? Which I think on paper looks as though it makes huge amount of sense. From a logistical point of view, trying to get that in place, you're probably looking at six weeks out of a calendar, which when you're looking at five test matches of the Ashes in five and a half weeks, I think it's pie-in-the-sky pie ideas. Absolutely. Yes, um, lovely idea in theory, and that may be, it would have worked 25 years ago, but um, definitely not now. And with the World Test Championship taking place every two years, Harmi, I think a one-off is absolutely fine. And do you know what? There is only one place in the world that it can be held. Um, England and Wales are it's the most cosmopolitan of all the test-playing nations, the best facilities. I think as a spectacle, it'll be an absolute stunner. It'll be a total sellout, um, 98% um, supporting India. Uh, and I think that the Oval is a become probably my favourite stadium venue in the world. Um, so uh, I, I think that's it's going to be... An incredible um, occasion, and from a cricketing point of view, um, do you think Australia will give it their their all? Given that they've got five Test matches in something like six and a half weeks uh, for for the Ashes, um, and do you think Travis Head might continue to open the batting? I think they'll give it. They're always going to give it their all. I think you've got to try and win the the World Test Championship. It's going to be it's going to be huge. I think they've got. I think they've got an added bonus that a couple of their players are already going to be in England with a bit of county cricket. And I, th- I still think there's one or two more that will drop up, will bounce up for a couple of weeks before that World Test test match that happening. They'll play, will they play a warm-up game going into that series? It's a huge game going into the Ashes. Arguably a better in line to what some of the England players will have going into the Ashes because they'll have a competitive five-day test match going into the Ashes, where some of the England players won't play against Ireland. They'll still be in the IPL right up until the last knocking. Um, so England against Ireland is probably not, obviously that's not going to be as strong as Australia against against India. So I think they'll give it their role. I think they'll be have a red-hot go at, at India, and I think India will do the same back. And I think it'll be, like you said, it'll be a, a massive spe- uh, spectacle. It'll be 98% following India, and I, I'm not sure where you're getting the other 2% from because <laughs> um, I think the Indians might have all the tickets for, for the Oval. But I think you're right when it comes to where the final needs to be at. I don't think it just needs to be in England. I think it needs to be in London. I, I really think it needs to be in London. I think it's easy, accessible. You can get in and out very, very comfortably. From a cosmopolitan point of view, I, I think it, it works perfect for every other na- nation around the world. And the Oval will always produce a decent cricket pitch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're not going to get an um, overly green seamer at the beginning of June, if at any time at the Oval. So I think that venue is absolutely brilliant. Let's change tack and move to uh, South Africa. Temba Bavuma uh, spent seven years and 88 test innings waiting for his second 100 after scoring his first against England at Newlands in 2016. It's not the longest. Uh, former uh, New Zealand wicketkeeper Adam Perori holds that record, mm-hmm. only with four more innings, 92 innings between his first and second 100. Temba Bavuma, though, made 172. 
and it was a, a brilliant innings. And he came to the crease eight for two. His team were then 105 for five, not there long thereafter. And uh, he was absolutely inspired. And it was reminiscent of the new approach that he's got to cricket, I think. He took over the ODI captaincy and scored 100 in his second game against uh, England. Well, in that series, they had to win. Mm. They absolutely had to win a couple of months ago. He scored a brilliant 109 in the second game uh, to seal the series victory. So uh, before I get your thoughts, this is what he said after that innings. I think with everything that I, I kind of do, there's always that there's always that angle to it all. Um, there's always that perspective, um, an important and significant one um, that it is. You know, us playing for the the, the Proteas, it's it's about inspire, inspiring the the next nation, the next bunch of cricketers. Me, obviously, being a Black African cricketer as well, is allowing those Black African cricketers, allowing a lot more Black African batters to come through and really dream and believe that they too can also come and play at the Proteas and have their names um, entrenched within within the history books. So yeah, I guess it's it's, it's special, it's special from that perspective, and I'm sure the the young timber who made his debut for, for South Africa would would be very proud of the timber that he sees today. With everything that has happened, I'm still managing to, I guess, keep your head up, um, keep afloat, and keep finding a way to, to move forward. Uh, South Africa's newly appointed test captain, Temba Bavuma, who seems to be um, every every other cricket supporter's favourite South African at the moment, Harmi. Yeah, he is. He just seems not to be the favourite South African in South Africa. It's just and then South Africa don't do well, it's Bavuma's fault. And whenever he does do well, well, he's our flagship player. He should be doing well. You feel for him sometimes. He looks as though he's got the world, not just South Africa, he's got the world on his shoulders sometimes. But he batted brilliantly, seen some of the highlights of the innings. And like you said, he seems to be a character you want to have when you're in trouble because eight for two was, you know, that's when your, your captain really needs to stand up. So West Indies have got a decent bowling attack. Yeah, the South Africa captain, he stood up and recounted. And South Africa are going to need him over the course of the next few months because of what cricket they've got coming up. They've got some pressurised cricket coming up to qualify for the other World Cup, as well as trying to build when all their players are saying, we want to play more test matches. The boards are saying, we can't afford to play more test matches. The test matches that are being played around the world, when you look at New Zealand and South Africa, the way England played, a lot of the a lot of the players now are wanting to play Test match cricket because it seems to be the, the in thing, and so you've got to perform. And this African captain did perform for his well, obviously for his nation, and more importantly, when you are given responsibility, it's important you get off to a good start. And this is what uh, South Africa's Test coach Shukri Conrad had to say on his captain. He's always under a lot of pressure. Um for no good reason sometimes, but I think yesterday's knock was monumental in, in so many respects. The, the, the series was on a knife edge. The West Indies, as they have done throughout the series, seemed to find a way of clawing themselves back into the match. When you walked in yesterday and eight for two and then a couple more wickets fell, it was really someone need to stand up and move the series and, and, and the, 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 the momentum of the game in our favour and, and ultimately the series as well. And it was Temba. Um, it's a language we, we, we use about playing match-defining innings and spells with the ball. And that was both match and series-defining. I think every single body inside there is, is like so thrilled for him. Temba's held in, in such high esteem and, and even some of the, the comments in our, in our post-day review guys stood up and, and lauded him for um, where he's come from, all the sticky gets, unnecessarily so, um, and for him to come out and, and play like that. And having just assumed the mantle of, of captain as well, that speaks volumes for the character of, of the person and the ownership that he's taken of, of the side together with some of the other leaders in the group. That was uh, South Africa's test coach, Shukri Conrad. Um, I have to say, Harmi, uh, it wasn't long ago that England lost to this West Indies team, and that absolutely baffles me. They're, they, they're poor, uh, I'll, mm. I'll be absolutely honest. You know, I mean, you just look at Ruston Chase coming in at number five, uh, having played 48 test matches with a batting average of 27, and they just were not inspired. Um, uh, that's not to take anything away from South Africa, but um, I do hope that uh, things begin to come right. Um, uh, Craig Brathwaite is an inspiration 
And Jason Holder was fabulous, and Kemar Roach is a fine cricketer, so they've got building blocks to to work with. But um, it seems there's no direction, does there? There's there a bit of a rabble. There's no direction. It's like he's off in that corner. He's off in that corner. There's no not so much leadership. There's just no direction of what we are trying to achieve. And sometimes I think that's hard when you're bringing islands together. You're bringing countries together to represent a bunch of countries, um, which has always been been the challenge in, in West Indian cricket and it needs probably somebody right at the very top to stabilise, bring the unit together and give them some direction because individually, I look at some of the players, Zara Joseph, talented young boy, Jason Holder, one of the nicest human beings I have ever met in cricket. A really nice man is Jason Holder, good cricketer, top, top player. Um, and then you look at Brassweird and Tagnarai and Chanderpaul taking over from his from his father, there's some there's some good players in there from an individual point of view. But it just seems to be, yeah, there are there's eleven of them on a fifty two seater bus, and they're all sitting in they're all sitting sitting by themselves, thinking the bus has gone in a different direction. Okay, um, Kashyap Maharaj was seriously injured in bizarre circumstances during that test match. An LBW appeal against Kyle Mayers was given not out. Um, he reviewed it with uh, Bavuma. And when the replay on the big screen showed that it was a legitimate dismissal, he was so excited, he took off to sprint and ruptured his Achilles in the act of trying to celebrate a wicket. So he won't be going to Middlesex this summer, which is, uh, I think, uh, hopefully he makes a full recovery and, and gets back to playing and can one day laugh at that because, you know, if it wasn't so serious, it was completely... And that's a bad injury, manners as well. That is a bad injury, the, the Achilles. A runner yourself? No, that's a, that is a bad injury. It's just that we had one in the Premier League a couple of, couple, was it last week? Alcaraz. He scores a goal for Southampton and runs across to the corner flag, does a knee celebrate, a knee slide, and ruptures his knee and walks off five minutes later after scoring in the Premier League. So there is something in celebrating, I must admit. Yeah, I, I used to like celebrating with a pint of lager. I wasn't really that celebrating running faster than I needed to run and jump in the air. Talking of the Premier League, how does David Saker jump between England and Australia? That's a bit like coach coaching Sunderland at Newcastle in alternate seasons, isn't it? We've seen Mike Cussie do it. Mike Cussie came out of the commentary box and straight to England, won the World Cup. So it's not only Cassius King when it comes to the cricket from a player's point of view in franchise cricket. I think the man that fears the most money will get the best coach and or the best coaching opportunities. And to be fair to Saka, and, and joking aside, I think it's a great coup for, for England to get David Saka. We had a brief chat with Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad in Wellington before the Test match. And Jimmy spoke very highly of, of Otis Gibson and David Saka and people who have done a wonders for, the, for their careers. Um, so to get Saka off the back of England when the one in 10-11 and the one in 13 when Co- Seiko was bowling coach. That's a big feather in Rob Key's hat by getting a, a bowling coach of that high of quality. Okay, uh, just two things very, very quickly. Sky Sports um, are going to show the opening, sorry, defending champion Surrey's opening county championship game against Lancashire. Um, they've lost the rights to show the IPL, but uh, they'll also be showing games in the second and third rounds. I think that's, that's pretty exciting mm. news, isn't it? William. Fantastic for county cricket and good for Sky. Really, I'm really. I know they're only doing it off the back of losing the IPL, but good on Sky Sports and and Brian Henderson. He could easily have just let it be, and I know Sky have lost a few, you know, big sporting events in recent times. But to to showcase the county championship leading into the Ashes, for me, especially if some of them players are playing in it, you're going to have Lancashire Surrey. Early part of the season, Ollie Pope is going to get a chance. I don't know if Jimmy will play. I'd be very surprised if Jimmy Anderson plays. But if Jimmy does play, we're going to see some England players playing on our TV screen under less pressure. I think it's a, it's a, I think it's a good thing for English cricket that county cricket is going to be on, on TV. Look, it's not everybody's cup of tea. It's not going to change the world when it comes to, you know, from a, it's it's the purest form of the game. Does it keep a few people at beer when it comes to county members, possibly. But for me, I think it's a great, it's a great move, and congr- well done to Sky for doing it because 
And no matter what anybody says, yes, franchise has got all the money. Yes, franchise is probably where the most entertainment is. The best test match cricketers, the best players that play this game or have played the game in the history of the game have come from a largely down of an education in county cricket. We might, we might, we might over the course of rounds one, two, and three, see a future England, Joe Root, Ben Stokes, just make a name for themselves on the cameras, leaning into the ashes. Okay, finally, it's bet time again. We've still got that fiver on Ben Stokes <laughs> playing in the uh, in the in, in the World, World Cup. Cup. Yeah, yeah, we that's still that's on the go. All right, so Cricket South Africa announced that their nine IPL players who are all in the one day squad. Uh, won't be able to join the IPL for the first week because they want them to stay in South Africa to play two ODIs against the Netherlands because South Africa have to win those games in order to have a chance of pre of uh, uh, qualifying for the 50-over World Cup. Okay, so we're talking about Kahisa Rabada at the Punjab Kings, David Miller at the defending champions, Gujarat Titans. We're talking about Sunrisers Hyderabad captain, Aidan Markram, Heinrich Klaassen and Marco Janssen also there. Anrich Norkia for the Delhi Capitals. We're talking about some big players. Six of the ten IPL franchises involved. Cricket South Africa said, uh, sorry, gents, um, but they're going to be a week late. So I'm offering you a £5 bet that some, if not all of them, will be there on time for the start of the IPL. Well, go the other way, because I think, I think Cricket South Africa desperately need their players to play against the Netherlands because they need to qualified for the World Cup and that for me is more important I know the IPL franchises own South Africa's T20 competition if not in name but definitely behind the scenes um, I'll throw it back to you Manners why is it so important for South African cricket that their players play against Ireland and don't go to the IPL? Yeah well um, you see they think that they have the power they think that uh, that they have the right because their players have signed contracts they think that they have the power and the right in order to ask the players to stay behind they've got to win two games against the Netherlands a below strength Netherlands team and I think that they are slightly misguided I think that uh, it's actually the IPL franchises <laughs> the BCCI who hold the power and the influence and the money so if they want their players for the first week of the IPL, I think they will get them. Interesting. It's going to be, well, we're either going to see some falling outs or some retirements. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll see next week. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Mantle, from Double Ashes with us, Steve Harbison. And if you have missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, available, as always, via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back at the same time next week to build up to the start of the county season. But for now, this has been another edition of the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today.